0: I don't know about you guys, but I am one of those people where every year on Daylight Savings, having that extra hour of light in the evening just like completely transforms my mood. I feel like I am not me when it gets dark at 4 p.m. And obviously the flip side of that is that first morning after springing forward can be rough. So I want to tell you about something that can make it so much easier, so much more enjoyable. It's called Hatch. And Hatch can help you choose sleep, prioritize healthy habits, and then also make the time change transition seamless and enjoyable. So the Hatch Restore helps you build sleep habits that make your unwind and wake routines simple and enjoyable. So a phone-free bedtime, no matter what time of year it is, which again, is really a habit I'm trying to change this year, and this has very much helped it. And then with the Hatch Plus subscription, you can access the latest routine building features like Cue to Unwind, which signals you that it's time for bed, and Pillow Talk, which is kind of like your favorite shows or socials without the screen to keep you up. For me, that's like such a wonderful feature because it helps me unwind, but not in a way that feels unnatural. It's kind of like the benefit I get from scrolling my phone without scrolling my phone. And then waking up in the morning is just so much more peaceful. Like I don't think it's good to wake up to that jarring alarm sound. So to have kind of an easy wake up, I've just really enjoyed my morning so much more. Right now, Hatch is offering our listeners $20 off your purchase of the Hatchery Store and free shipping at hatch.co slash CBC. Visit hatch.co slash CBC to get $20 off and free shipping. hatch.co slash CBC. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, Iz. Hi, Em. I am so happy to be here right now.
1: I'm so, so, so happy.
0: I know, I'm salivating to talk about the Salt Lake City reunion.
1: This whole week, every it was just Salt Lake City. Everyone was talking about it and I loved it so much.
0: This was really the definition of a reunion that lived up to every ounce of the hype.
1: A season one reunion? Even Andy was so giddy- In the beginning. So I can't imagine how he felt after wrapping this one part and all three parts because it's already incredible.
0: I saw a tweet. I think it was a tweet where somebody basically said, you know, there's something really pure about this because you could tell they were all just happy to be there. They were excited. They were fresh. It was their first time. They had a little bit of staged fright, a little bit of kind of nervous, excited energy. And you know what? As much as I love the OGs and I could watch, you know, a season 12, season 13 reunion, there's something about that like new feel to a season one that I missed.
1: And the whole point of reunions, we forget because I think we're all so jaded at this point, but imagine having the opportunity to sit down with these people and hash out all your problems and have the actual tapes of what happened and he said, she said. Like that is probably such an exhilarating feeling.
0: That's probably a level of kind of like validation or ability to emote that is unparalleled because in your average daily life, you don't really get that chance. You're not really ever in a situation where it's like, how about every single person that's pissed me off in the last year, let me put them together with a moderator and talk this out. And by the way, there's gonna be footage.
1: It's like group therapy on steroids in full glam with evidence. What else could you ask for?
0: I mean, obviously nothing. I am so excited. Should we get into it? I'll explain the episode, but ready?
1: Yeah. I just also want to say Vanessa Bayer's impersonation of Lisa Barlow and Whitney on Watch What Happens Live is one of the greater things I've ever seen. And if you haven't seen it yet, it's a must.
0: The talent to play both of them as perfectly as she did is really commendable.
1: But something about her flip-flopping back and forth so effortlessly in that Vita tequila conversation. No, I'm sorry. That is pure gold.
0: I also want to say Bridget Everett and Mary Cosby were on Watch What Happens after the Salt Lake City reunion. And honest to God, I was voice noting you the entire time. I was hysterically laughing. I thought it was one of the most unexpected yet genius pair ups. And I highly recommend watching it because it was just such good television.
1: That's my favorite kind of duo when they're just so unexpected, so random, but perfectly bounce off each other.
0: Exactly. So the way that we're going to do this episode is we're starting out with the Salt Lake City reunion. I imagine that that's probably going to be our most lengthy conversation. We're then going to talk a little bit about Kristen Cavallari on Craig and Austin's podcast, and then we're going to finish it strong with Summerhouse. How does that sound?
1: Like a perfect episode.
0: I'm so happy.
1: I was watching this reunion just smiling.
0: I know. I will say I missed Atlanta this week, though. Like, I guess I'm just clearly biased because if I'm choosing, of course, I'd rather have Atlanta than the Super Bowl, but I really did miss it. I-, I forgot how much I enjoy watching that on a Sunday.
1: I know. It did feel a little weird.
0: Okay. Well, <sighs> shall we?
1: Let's, let's kick it off. <laughs>
0: I'm so excited. Okay. I'm so excited. I feel like probably a good way to do this is last night I watched it before Isabel and I was chomping at the bit to discuss this. I really, really needed someone to talk about it with. So while Isabel hadn't watched it, I posted on the comments by Bravo story. And I just asked, like, who's your guys' part one reunion MVP? And as I was reading the responses, I realized that when you're talking about a Bravo MVP, you have to really specify what your definition of MVP is, because it's not like with sports where it's clearly the best player. Some people were doing it based on like who they thought had the best performance, meaning the performance they agreed the most with. And other people were kind of saying like who they thought were the most entertaining, meaning they didn't really agree with it, but they thought that they kind of came out swinging. So, I thought a good way to kind of kick this off is I want to ask you, going by this definition, and if you're listening to this, have your answer ready also. Who is your reunion MVP from the perspective of who did you agree with the most? Who did you think was making the best points?
1: I thought Heather, everything she said, I not only agreed with, I agreed with the way that she explained it and the words that she used and her delivery. I just was, every time she spoke, I was nodding my head and I felt like it was the most similar to how I would handle things. So I guess I was just able to like be on her page more. But just quickly back to the MVP thing, that's like what we always talk about when people say, who's your favorite housewife? And there's such a big difference between who I would want to like hang out with versus who is incredible TV. So that I get why the MVP question, because guess what? They're all fucking entertaining. It's impossible. I like them all for such different reasons. But personally for me, it was Heather.
0: Yeah. Heather was just, if you were curious in the responses, I would say Heather took probably 70% of them. But my answer is, I think Heather, I think if I had to choose, although I thought Meredith handled herself really elegantly and also I have to give at least an honorable mention to Mary because we hadn't really seen her as much in the entire season as we did in this reunion. And honestly, I thought she was making excellent points. I really did a lot of the time what she was saying. I agreed with her and I agreed with her perspective. And maybe it was just me being happy that she was getting so much camera time because we hadn't really seen her feelings and how she felt about so many of these situations. So I think I'm going to say Heather and Meredith with an honorable mention to Mary.
1: Mary had played an interesting role in this reunion overall because, yeah, she was involved in some of the drama more heavily in the beginning of the season, but she had more like a bird's eye view on the situations. So she was able to just give her two cents as an onlooker, but she did it in a way that was like, I know these women, so I have a little bit more to add. And she wasn't trying to play Andy's part, but do you know what I mean? Like she was just able to offer insight and also connect, help connect the dots between the women of you do do that, or you don't do that, or I saw this happen, and for some reason, X, Y, Z.
0: Yeah, and I think, to be honest with you, I think a really unfair criticism is like, oh, she was interjecting. It's like, that is literally what a Housewives reunion is. Everybody interjects on points that have nothing to do with them because that's what makes the best television.
1: I think the interjections sometimes end up making the best points or sprouting the best topics, you know what I mean? Like, they... the the tangents that they go on end up being the best part.
0: I agree with you and let's get into it. We're kind of going to do this chronologically. I just want to say like general blanket statement and we will really dissect this heavily because I have so much to say. Lisa Barlow was on one.
1: On fire. I would equate her to Craig at Southern Charm.
0: Yeah, honestly, that's the closest comparison I can think of in my mind, especially as I was watching it because she just came out swinging and- like I said, we will really analyze it, but God damn, she was taking no prisoners.
1: It was, wow. Wow. We'll get there because she was more of the second second half player, you know? Is that like what they say in sports? I'm not really sure. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. So let's just start us off kind of nice and easy with the conversation about Brooks' sweatsuit collection. And Andy basically is asking Meredith if she felt or was upset that Jen was kind of picking on Brooks. And Jen is saying, you know, I wasn't really picking on him. I wasn't being mean. It's one sweatsuit. I was just kind of making a statement. And Meredith, she didn't blow it out of proportion. She wasn't saying like that was the most offensive comment in the world. She was like, yeah, factually it's correct. There was one sweatsuit. But she kind of just felt like it was unkind. And she was clear to say it wasn't really about that comment. It was more so her social media action, which Jen was very quick to deny. But if you go back to Meredith's receipts that she posted yesterday, Jen did like a lot of negative tweets about Brooks, which, like, they weren't the worst things in the world. But also, if I, as a mother, which I'm not, I would have a bad taste in my mouth about somebody that was even a little bit subscribing to negative conversations about my son, even if objectively they were right.
1: Meredith tweeted, you asked, here are the receipts. Trust me, there are a lot more. I was not lying. And she posted a bunch of screenshots from Jen's likes. So although Jen is not lying and saying, I never said those things, She's liking tweets that say, Brooks annoys me, you know, Meredith's son is so offended over nothing, et cetera, et cetera, going on about negative things about him and mean comments. Obviously, there's millions of people live tweeting the show every week. There's going to be a ton of opinions, but Jen liking all of those, that is public for everyone to see. And as your friend, to see your other friend, a like is like a condoning of what they say or An acknowledgement that you're agreeing. So, although she's not the one saying it, that like holds a lot of weight.
0: Yes. See, it's a great point because what I was going to say is if you're judging this situation, I think, in my opinion, that you can't judge it based on whether or not you like Brooks. I almost think you have to take your personal opinion about Brooks to the side. And it's more so. If you are a mother, how would you feel about your friend condoning that? So for me, like I could understand why Meredith was pissed, even if I could also simultaneously agree that maybe Brooks did have some scenes where he was overreacting. I happen to really like him, but like to me, it's like it doesn't matter really what he was doing. It's more so once the kids are involved, I I do think that there's a line drawn in the sand. And honestly, we're coming from Jen, who is so 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 strong on family values. If Meredith was liking negative tweets about her sons, could you imagine? No,
1: that's the problem with Jen making her whole platform of her arguments that once you come anywhere near her family, that's when she blows up because her past behavior does not mimic that at all. And liking tweets that call someone else's son a dramatic brat if the tables were turned, it would never ever fly. And then here she is acting so confused saying, I never did that. I never, I never said that. I never tweeted that.
0: Right. Exactly. So they kind of talk about Meredith's birthday party that Jen threw, which we knew they were going to bring up, but it was completely news to me. I guess we saw it in the episode, but I didn't even realize that it was Lisa's birthday on that actual day. Did you know that?
1: I don't think so, but that package of her going around to everyone, literally saying, hi, it's my birthday, to every person was so funny, and that's why I love an editor's role in a reunion.
0: It was so funny. One of the answers to my sticker question asking people who the MVP was, actually more than one, a lot of people were like, honestly, you got to give this one to the editors. Guys,
1: we talk about these editors like not enough, because their job and the shade that they throw through edits is... Chef's kiss.
0: So, when Meredith kind of makes the point that she was a little bit uncomfortable with the party being on Lisa's birthday, Lisa comes out and basically says, You know, it didn't bother me that the party was on my birthday. I was more so bothered by the way some of the girls treated me. Heather gave me the once over, looked me up and down, and turns around. I didn't dismiss Heather. That was Heather dismissing me. And this is kind of, I would say, what really sparked the whole Heather, Lisa, and also everybody versus Lisa argument.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Let me ask you something, okay? When we watched this scene for the first time, and I know it's really hard, and everybody, I know it's hard to think back, but try for a second. When we were watching that scene at Meredith's party, do you remember how you felt about that interaction? Because I personally, when I viewed it, and I know I wasn't there, I think that I did think that Lisa was being a little bit kind of dismissive towards Heather and kind of like having this attitude of almost like she doesn't really need to interact, but that's not the story that she was trying to paint.
1: I agree with you. I think from that very moment, we got that image of like Lisa thinks she's too cool to associate with Heather. She doesn't want any like connection of their past. And even when they replayed it during the reunion, I was like, wait, that is what happened. I don't know if they showed it to them there or if it was just edited in, but. When you see it's like Lisa walking by looking heather up and down not you know not really stopping and heather's like says to the people she's with oh i was going to go in for the hug. So i don't really know if Lisa just is rewriting history if her perception of what actually happened is different but like i, I think that heather's still right and even when you watch it i'm like yeah that's exactly what happened.
0: that's how I felt. And by the way, I'm not anti-Lisa Barlow. I was not a fan of her behavior in this episode, but I'm not at all anti-her. I actually kind of like everybody on this cast, to be honest. Yeah. Well, we'll get into it. So I want to talk for a second before we move on, because this is not really a plotline that I want to keep talking about, but I do feel it's important to acknowledge it because it kind of sustains itself throughout the entire season. This whole idea of Lisa saying that Heather was a good time girl and It's interesting because you can clearly see how that as a description was really triggering for Heather based on like this idyllic kind of persona that she felt she had to emulate for so much of her life, specifically when she was at BYU. It was kind of a bizarre back and forth that they were having because on one hand, Heather agrees with her and says that she was, yet also feels like it was painting her out in a bad light.
1: I think she just could kind of see through Lisa and knew that like, while, while on the surface, what she's saying may not be the worst thing ever, she knew it had cruel intentions and she knew what Lisa was trying to get across about her. Do you know what I'm saying? Like she could see right through it.
0: Of course. And that's why I think Heather is, I just, how can you not think she's MVP? You know what I mean? Like she has such a clear head in her shoulders. I do too. Okay we got to talk about this whole Lisa Whitney situation. Like, I didn't really
1: realize how many different conflicts Lisa had in the group until this reunion because I guess with the exception of Meredith, she has just been not great to everybody. And that's what we get into later is like, is it individual issues or is this just how you are?
0: Right. And also the question, which I can't help but ask is, was there any... Friendship that existed before the show because to me, it kind of seems like Jen was really the only friendship other than Meredith that was pre existing.
1: Yeah, because they also get a lot into like, you never gave us the space to be friends with you or to have a relationship or to grow our relationship. So it, it is a little bit hard when you don't have your footing of like, well, we're all starting at different points here, you know, like you can't expect everyone to be equal.
0: Right. Also, when Andy directly asked Whitney, like, do you think that Lisa is jealous of you? And Whitney says, I don't think she's jealous. I just think that she thinks she's better than me. Like basically saying, you know, she just wants to look down on me. And I feel like it's such a default in Housewives to use the jealousy as the first line of defense. And I was really glad that she didn't say that because I don't think that's the case, but I think she's right. I do think that Lisa, whether intentional or not intentional, has a little bit of a condescending attitude, specifically when it comes to Whitney.
1: Uh, when Whitney said that, I was so happy, and I'm so glad you just said that too because you're right. Like, how easy is it to just say, "Oh, they're just jealous of me"? When most of the time it's not true, and I think Whitney was so on point with saying she thinks she's better than me because that's the sentiment that everyone feels, and I think that kind of sums up all of Lisa's issues with the group is people feeling that she thinks she's greater than them in some way, putting them down or wants to be like the number one cool mean girl in the group. I just I do. I think that's like her attitude. And Heather even says later, I think you want to put that image out for yourself. And you know what? Like she she's doing it.
0: Let me tell you something. I know we're going to get into it. I just want you to know that in this entire reunion, the part that I am probably the most excited to talk about is that conversation where they make the distinction between what heather says and how it affected public perception versus lisa's actions and how that affected public perception because that was really quality television
1: it was a it was a really big fourth wall break in a way of it like was. we are aware of what twitter and instagram what people think about us and we're aware of like what what is said on the show how that twists the public's perception and also like how we come across. It, they're all sensitive to that. And it's e- so easy to blame other women for how they come across. But at the end of the day, like everyone's on their own.
0: Exactly. Also, before we move on to Jen's package, just like a little bit of a superficial thing when Andy is talking to Mary about her, quote, green loofah dress that she wore to uh, Meredith's birthday party. And she's kind of defending it, saying that she liked it, which personally I know was very expensive. I didn't like it, but I did think she rocked it. I think that she carries clothes well but she's made this comment. She was like, it's not for everyone and everyone cannot fit into that dress and everyone cannot pull it off. And I don't know if this is just me that's felt this way and maybe it's just something that I'm sensitive to, but there's been a couple of times in this season with Mary, and I really do like her, so don't think that I don't, where- She's made these comments that almost come across as a little bit fat phobic to me. Like even when she was talking to the guy at her church, and the first thing she said to him was like, "Oh my God, it looked like you gained weight." You know, don't be doing that. As if like gaining weight is some terrible thing. And I, I don't know. I, I, there's nothing wrong with saying I pulled it off. She did. I love that confidence. But it was the line that saying like not everyone can fit into that dress? You can give her the benefit of the doubt and saying it wasn't a weight thing, and that's totally fine. But for my ears did perk up because I guess I'm a little bit sensitive to that, and I just like didn't necessarily think that was the kindest thing to say.
1: Yeah, I think there were way better ways that she could have defended her outfit choice. You're right. That is some, like a repeated pattern and it's an interesting choice.
0: Yeah, just a little bit of a fat phobic undertone that I don't appreciate. But again, I don't know her, so maybe that's just like the way that she was describing it, you know?
1: Yeah, I noticed that too.
0: So moving on to Jen, this whole package about her making a splash. I loved the package, I gotta tell you. I loved it,
1: and I love what Andy said, literally, ask the crew. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love his little one-liners that are clearly so written for him, but he says it looking directly into the camera.
1: I'm a sucker for the puns in the openings. I'm sorry. I can't help myself.
0: I got to tell you, I'm not normally a pun fan, but when it comes to Bravo, I can't get enough. I'm a slut for puns when it comes to Bravo.
1: It just, they hit different. They hit different.
0: Anyway, the first thing that I kind of want to mention here quickly is – you know when Jen's kind of getting emotional about her father passing and you see that Heather is also getting emotional and we find out that not only did Heather lose her father in April but Mary also lost her father last year which was not something that was known
1: that was when i felt the major disconnect in the group of none of them even knew that Mary had lost her father like that alone shows that no, as much as they all say they really like her and they respect her they've all been so nice to her like Have they not been keeping in touch since April? And, you know, Heather didn't know that they both lost fathers at the same time. I feel like that was such a telling moment and also give us insight into, like, where Mary is coming from going into this reunion.
0: But also, did they all know that Heather lost her dad? I didn't even know if that was known.
1: I think so. It was hard to tell, but I think they might have. I have to look back if she, like, shared it on social, but it seemed less, like, surprising.
0: You're so right because on one hand, for a second, I felt this moment of like kind of camaraderie is the wrong word, but almost like shared loss. Like grief is a very bonding thing. So I felt that for a moment. It was obviously very short-lived. We saw how this went on. But yeah, the, the second part of me after that initial wave was like, wait a second. Nobody knew about this. You guys are quote friends.
1: This was a weird connection. I don't know how I drew this. This is just how my brain works. But we had a long conversation kind of about Erica Jane in this way of like, there are just some things that rise above all the bullshit and all the relationships and all the ways that they are interacting through the season. And like moments like this of like, we're just women here who have parents of the same age, losing parents, going through real life things that it completely washes everything else away.
0: Yeah, there's there's absolutely something about grief that does that. Also, they're talking about her plastic surgery and she's saying that she only had her nose done after her son accidentally broke it. She's had a lot of Botox and fillers, but nothing else. And Whitney's kind of saying that she had a boob lift. I got to tell you, I could not, like me, a very straight woman, could not stop looking at Whitney's boobs.
1: They looked so good. And even Andy, a gay man, is like, they definitely look different from that bathtub scene. Like He remembered it spot on. It was so good. I think the plastic surgery questions are getting a little old. Do I agree. you feel that way too? It's like, uh, listen, nobody is more curious than me. I know everyone is. Like, I'm obsessed with it. I love it. But there is just something a little bit like uncomfortable, medical, like assuming about these plastic surgery questions. And I get that they have to ask them because it is a huge topic of conversation. Like, Sometimes it's just the elephant in the room, especially if the women come in to the reunion or to the next season looking like a different person. But, like, don't you feel like it's a little bit invasive at this point?
0: I do. And I also think, and maybe this is just me projecting, but I feel like we're both a little bit hypersensitive to that, having just watched and analyzed the Britney documentary, because we're really just watching kind of like the misogyny and the sexism of the media and how that's not really a question that would be asked to men.
1: And I don't think it's in a malicious way at all. I think it's like lighthearted. I think they think or feel that everyone's on the same page that plastic surgery is no big deal and your housewife is has become synonymous with plastic surgery and lip fillers. But like, I don't know. That just like stood out to me for some reason.
0: Yeah. Like why should she have to defend it? It's not like she's denying that she's ever done it.
1: Right. Like now you're on the spot about getting a nose job and you have to say, oh, my son broke it and give this whole spiel. Like whatever.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Also, they talked about the question that I think the question of the hour that all of us have been wondering of, like, why the need for so many assistants. And this is when she's kind of explaining her business, which she has built a very successful business. Heather even backs that up. I still think four assistants is a little bit excessive, but you know what? If she can afford it, she's employing people. I don't give a shit. The only problem I have with her assistants is the fact, like I said last week, that it really affects her judgment, and I think it blurs her view of a situation because she has this like insulated community of yes people that fail to give her an honest reaction. But like, aside from that, from a superficial level, do your thing.
1: I was happy that she didn't get super defensive over this question because I think she easily could have.
0: I think that Jen had a very long talk with herself and probably with Sharif before this reunion where she said, I'm going to save my very reactionary moments because I think Not that she is like appalled necessarily the way that she behaved this season. We've seen recently that that's not necessarily the case. But I think that she, from like a strategic perspective, was trying to stay as calm as possible because we've seen that her point doesn't get delivered as well when she has some of these like outbursts and, you know, kind of gets a little bit like honestly violent with like throwing shit. Right. Okay, so this next part, I know we've spoken about it, but I do think that we should highlight it for a second since it was kind of heavily discussed on this reunion. You know, Andy is basically asking a submitted question, which is saying, like, your husband is not the head coach of the team. Why was it so impossible for him to come to your dad's funeral? Were you having marital issues? And she's kind of explaining the fact that, like, if he was the head coach, it actually would have been easier, but because he's the assistant coach, it's actually more difficult. But, you know, I don't know. I, uh, I can't speak f- for her. I just think to me, there's no excuse for this. I still to this day, and I really, really like Sharif. I think there is absolutely no excuse for him not being there.
1: This was a moment where Andy kind of asked the question twice because he was saying what we have been saying all season, like from what we see on TV. And I know that that's not always the truth. And I think he, Andy was careful to clarify that that doesn't mean that how, that's how Sharif is behind closed doors because we've seen that before. But from what we've seen, he's very calm, cool, and collected. He's very receptive to your feelings. And he wants to kind of work things through with you. Why were you so hesitant to tell him? And her excuse of like, you know, he's not really home. I don't want to dump it all on him, etc. But I don't know. I, I do think there's part of her that realizes it is so inexcusable and she doesn't really know how to justify it anymore.
0: No, and honestly I I didn't feel like she was necessarily trying to justify it. I felt she was more so justifying why she didn't bring it up to him. You know, like I think the point that she was trying to make was kind of like it's not that I thought that he wouldn't be receptive or that he was gonna like blow up on me. It was more so I had such limited time with him that I didn't want to make it about that, which you know something? Like, listen, I, I have my issues with Jen, but That's true. Like It's not just a relationship thing. When you have such limited time with somebody that you care about, sometimes for your own sake, you don't wanna make it negative. And so that's a really difficult situation because it's like, I have two shitty options here. The first is making my time with this person, my limited time with this person negative. And my second option is just like internalizing my hurt as not to rock the boat. And you know what? Both of those options fucking suck.
1: They fucking suck. And on top of it, I don't think she really realized how much resentment was building over time not talking about it and not expressing herself like she really thought she was fine and she thought okay whatever like i'll deal with it later or i'm over it and then realized that she wasn't so she was she was pretty honest about that and very self-reflective which i do appreciate
0: yeah. And I also just want to say, I know I said this last week or whenever that episode was when they talked about it. And I kind of like acknowledged my own, not bias, but like the fact that I took this so personally, cause I was in that situation, not with the husband, but like the love of my life, missing my mom's funeral. Um, and when I, I don't think I said this on the podcast, but when I brought that up, we got a lot of DMS from people that had been in similar situations. And I just want to say to you guys that like have been there where your partner was completely absent after the loss of your parent, which is like, one of the fucking worst pains in the world, like you are not alone. I hear you and I see you and don't feel any pressure to get over that hurt in any sort of a speedy manner because you know something, that's a real deep hurt and you should have every single second to process that in as much time as you need. And when you are sitting there and you are looking at your loved one's fucking casket and you want that person in the audience and they're not there, that's not an easy thing to get over. So don't feel like you should have any pressure to do so
1: definitely. We saw also a lot of DMs like not just people you are in a relationship with, family members, friends, like it's it's just such a deep hurt.
0: Yeah. Okay. This was this was uh, funny when he's asking the question to her about like for one in your 50s you throw a lot of tantrums like a 5-year-old and she you could see her expression completely changed because she heard the 50s and was like, "Wait, a damn minute."
1: She was way more offended about being called 50 than that she throws tantrums like a toddler. I know. <laughs> like, and- that's when you know your priorities. Like, that was so funny. They're <laughs> all like, they're all like gasping, like 50. Like, heaven <sighs> forbid you call her 50.
0: That was so funny. Um, Andy asked her, you know, like, have you always been temperamental? And she said, not like that. And this was such an interesting conversation when Mary says, I think she's more temperamental with me than anyone else. When my name comes up, it's a str- it's a trigger. And Lisa is saying basically that she disagrees with that because she says, and I quote, when she gets upset when your name said, it usually doesn't have anything to do with you. It's like, why do you keep bringing this up? And Mary says, I said to you, Lisa, why do you think Jen treats me the way that she does? And you said, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just confused why it's every single time. Jen then says, I was triggered by instances like the whole hospital thing in the luncheon, but Mary herself doesn't trigger me. And Mary says, I trigger her
1: tell me if you agree with this. In a way, even in Lisa saying that, she's diminishing Mary right
0: there. A thousand percent. And by the way, Lisa, although she doesn't realize it, is just actually agreeing with Mary because- What she's saying is no different than Mary saying she triggers her. What's the difference between when she's brought up, she's upset that it's being brought up or she's upset by her? Jen, in my opinion, objectively is triggered by Mary. That's what we've seen throughout the entire season. For some reason, when Mary is brought into the equation, she cannot tolerate it. And so I completely disagree with Lisa's analysis and I actually really agreed with Mary in that moment. I don't know if that's a popular opinion, but that's how I felt.
1: See, I'm a little more split because I don't think I almost think Jen does not care about Mary at all. It's more about what Mary like represents in the group and what Mary was in her friendship with Meredith and Meredith quote choosing Mary and how annoyed she gets that like, people keep bringing up those situations. I don't think Mary as a person necessarily triggers Jen. Like I don't think every time she talks or anytime she's anywhere it doesn't necessarily bother Jen or make her blow up. So I get what Lisa was trying to say, but even in her delivery of saying that, it's like, oh, she doesn't give a fuck about you. You know, It's more like she was just saying it in such a way where she's diminishing Mary as a person and also trying to diminish her point. And it's like, this is what people have a problem with.
0: Uh, Beautifully said. The way that Lisa handled that was exactly what they were all speaking about. And also, by the way, it wasn't her battle to fight. Although- If I'm gonna make the point in the beginning about how I loved Mary's interjections, then I can't not have that same like I can't, you know what I mean? I can't have have favoritism and say that I didn't appreciate Lisa's, because if I'm gonna be a fan of interjections, I have to be a fan across the board. But in this particular circumstance, Lisa had no idea what she was talking about. And I don't know, because I hear what you're saying, and it's not that I disagree with you about like she's not triggered, but it's kind of basically saying the same thing. Like, yeah, maybe there's a difference of like if we're if we're on a spectrum, right? Like the farthest end of the spectrum is someone talks and you can't even stand it, right? I don't think that that's what's going on. I don't think that Jen has a visceral reaction when Mary speaks. That's not what I'm saying. Yet, if you're saying that she gets upset any time something to do with Mary is kind of brought up, like, is there that much of a difference?
1: I don't know. Because then you, think you have to go back to the root of like, okay, let's talk about what these issues are. The issues are rooted in just not liking Mary. It's so layered, but like, I think everyone's interpretation of the question of does mary trigger jen was different and i i got what they were both saying but it just was not communicated well at all
0: specifically in my opinion by lisa yeah yeah i mean let's just get this out now by the way like there was this kind of weird jen lisa alliance going on the entire time and we'll get into this in a second but like there was a little bit of weird energy between Meredith and Lisa, which I know now Meredith says everything's fine. I believe her if she says that, but like, it was not necessarily the buddying up that you would have anticipated.
1: I just can imagine how hard it is to go on a show with someone and you think that you're so aligned and then you get get involved in your own bullshit and you maybe say or do things that your best friend doesn't agree with or wouldn't handle it that way or is with someone that you... Really do like or on good terms with, that is such a hard place to be in, especially at a reunion when like you're hashing it all out. It just, it's probably so awkward. I'm sorry. That is so, so hard. And you also don't want to like, you know, like your parents always said to you, like your friends are a representation of you, right? Like a lot of, in a lot of ways, you are independent, but you want to be friends with people who have a good, image, nice people, good people. So then to be lumped in, and if you don't agree with their decisions, that's like, at what point do you just protect yourself versus have an allegiance with someone just because you've been friends with them for 10 years?
0: Exactly. It's true. I mean, think about if you even like if you're dating a guy, they always say that like, you can tell a lot about a man's character by the people that he surrounds himself with. Isn't that such a red flag? Think about it. Like if you went out with a guy and you went out with his friends and you didn't like the way that they were acting, it would make you start to question that guy a little. Like, why are you spending your time with that person? And not that that's necessarily the case with Lisa and Meredith, but like, yeah, I definitely don't think that Meredith would have handled anything the way that Lisa was. And I think that there was honestly a little bit of secondhand embarrassment that she was feeling in this moment.
1: And they also can't seem like they blindly support each other no matter what because that's just like annoying to the public. And also then it's there's no independence if they're just like, oh, whatever she does, I I agree with.
0: Right. Because then you get yourself into a Teddy Kyle situation.
1: Yeah. And that's not good for anyone and nobody comes out a winner. Right.
0: When on the hunt for a new apartment, we obviously all have things that are kind of non-negotiables for us. I would say for me, top of that list is probably natural light. Just because I know myself, I know I'm more productive throughout the day. I'm honestly just happier throughout the day when I'm getting a lot of natural light. And it's important to know what you want and then really to be able to get that. You know, this is your space that you're living in. So apartments.com has helped millions of renters find their perfect place with powerful search tools to help find a rental listing that checks all your specific unique boxes. So first of all, they have 3D virtual tours. So when you can't be there in person, you can take a tour of your possible future home, which is huge because it's one thing for someone to send you photos or to tell you about it, but really to be able to do kind of a virtual walkthrough to me is huge. Also, apartments.com has the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet, and they have amenity filters. So you can make sure your possible future home has all the amenities you need, whether that's in-unit washer, dryer, air conditioning, dishwasher, balcony. For me, in my next place, in-unit washer, dryer is like hands down, very, very high. So visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. What do you think about this situation when they're talking about how Jen kind of screamed at Heather after the 20s party and she like very half-ass apologizes? How did you feel about that entire situation? Even because, you know, Andy was kind of taken aback by her lack of emotion when apologizing.
1: Well, I think When Andy has such a strong reaction, it's like, you know. She, I don't know if it was an act or if this is how she actually felt. She was like, no, what? I really am sorry. But she gave such a half-assed apology. It was so just like, I'm sorry. Move on. And then Andy's like, okay, yeah. Even if you do sincerely mean it right now, you realize this is still one year later. So even if you feel so sorry now, what took so long to apologize? And I felt so vindicated for Heather in that moment that that is the epitome of her issue with Jen is Heather goes out of her way, leaves her cousin Whitney's party while she, where she's having so much fun to chase Jen, to make sure she gets in the car safely, to make sure she's okay, to be a good friend, to be loyal because that's her, that's who she is. That's her MO as a person. And Jen doesn't appreciate it doesn't give her the respect that she deserves, yells at her, and then doesn't apologize. And you know what? Heather doesn't even ask anything for her of it and continues to be a good friend. Like that is the summary of their issue. And in that moment when Jen still hasn't apologized and then on top of it gives a bullshit apology, it's like, come on.
0: Exactly. Exactly. That's because if this was an isolated incident and it was one thing that she did a little bit wrong or she kind of treated Heather not great and that was her apology, fine. But you could see for Heather, this was representative of the bigger issue that she is trying to communicate to Jen the entire season and Jen's unwillingness to really internalize and understand what she was saying, aka let's take ourselves back to the hypnotherapist when she raises her hand when asked who who doesn't trust Heather. Like, we're all talking about the same umbrella here. It falls under the same thing. And it just goes to show that everything Heather has been saying to Jen, in my opinion, has been falling on deaf ears because clearly if Jen took any of that to heart, she would have treated that moment of an apology opportunity with a lot more, like a lot more sincerity.
1: Oh, it was fully handed to her on a silver platter to say listen, I'm not expecting her to have this huge prolonged apology. Was it the worst thing in the world? No. Honestly, she's done worse. But here she is given a full open moment to say, I'm sorry, you were just trying to be a good friend. It should not have taken me this long to apologize to you, et cetera, et cetera. That would have meant so much to Heather, and it would have taken so little energy from Jen.
0: That's the thing. Like, I, I try so hard. I really, really do because I see and I've seen so much like how much Jen has been hurting so I try to give her the benefit of the doubt but it's like I think that I have a real fundamental opposition to when people have an opportunity to like make someone else's day with such minimal effort and they don't capitalize on that opportunity because like What was going to happen for Jen? She knew she was in the wrong. It's not like she was trying to get out of the fact that she was in the wrong. So, like, take that extra second, have that emotional intelligence to just like make her feel her. You know, like you have a chance to validate someone's heart and you're not going to do it. Like, why? Why would somebody want to be close to you? I don't know. That's just how I feel about it.
1: And Heather has taken 100% of the guesswork out of it. She's outlined exactly to Jen what she needs and what she doesn't feel from her. Like this to me was like the most glaring open door sign, like arrow. You know what I mean? Like, hello, like apology right here. Like I, it was like frustrating. I think that's why Andy had such a reaction of like, really? After all this?
0: This is when Mary Cosby has, in my opinion, her best line of the reunion. When Mary is saying to Heather, you know, if you're a friend to somebody else, they should be a friend to you. And Jen says to Mary, maybe take your own advice. And Mary looks at Jen without hesitation and says, I don't want to be friends with you. That's the difference. Boom. Mic drop.
1: Mic fucking drop. That's a line.
0: It's a line because it's completely accurate. And by the way, Jen doesn't want to be friends with Mary. They're, they're completely fine with not being friends with each other. But I appreciated Mary's kind of bluntness in the moment to be like, listen, this is not about you and I. This, I <laughs> I'm not fighting the battle for myself.
1: And like newsflash, not everybody necessarily wants to be friends with you. Like that's just the way the world goes. And Jen, I don't even think had a response to that because she's like, "Damn, you're right."
0: I know, I, which I appreciated. It was it was better for her to have no response than to like come up with some fake rebuttal. No,
1: there was nothing.
0: I also just I get really defensive, of Heather. I can't help it. So, like, I get defensive. I, yeah, I think I, I get the most defensive of Heather, honestly, in the entire cast.
1: It's hard not to.
0: Yeah. Okay. This next situation, so stupid. I don't really like talking about the Brooks of it all because I just feel like it's not a conversation that goes anywhere. You know what I mean? Like it's a battle that they're just never going to see eye to eye on. And I don't like talking about the kid's involvement in general. I know he's older. It's not like you're talking about a, a 12 year old, but still, it's just like it doesn't feel good to me.
1: It doesn't feel good. I don't feel good for Meredith to have to talk about it. Like I feel how painful and annoying and uncomfortable that is. Everyone is very split on this because Brooks is older. He got a confessional. He did get really involved, so it's not like he's off camera or anything. However, this is such an isolated, small incident. It does say a lot about Meredith and Jen's friendship. I do think that's why it keeps getting brought up and why it's so important. But it's so like small and nuanced and we don't get any more information about it that it's like, I feel like we're going in circles.
0: That's how I feel. And you know, this is the part where Meredith says like, I don't think you were intentionally trying to rattle my children, but you're a big personality as we know. And there were high leg kicks and no underwear. And that was that. And Meredith was kind of trying to convey to her, like, if you just said to me, I never wanted to make your kids uncomfortable, we wouldn't even be having to have this conversation. And Jen is kind of like saying, I didn't know there was a problem. And Meredith confirms that they left to go to Best Buy because... (laughs) They were uncomfortable from seeing her vagina. I'm sorry. I don't mean to laugh. It's just like, I can't believe that Best Buy and vagina are in the same sentence so many times. It's like, why do we all remember that they're
1: going to Best Buy? Even Andy saying, oh, that's why they went to Best Buy. Like, we all remember they were going to Best Buy because I was just like picturing them browsing the aisles of fucking USBs and like, what are they doing there at 10 p.m. on a Friday night?
0: No, no, stop. The memes about Brooks and his sister at Best Buy are killing me. It's like, all I can imagine is like them standing there watching TV and those giant TVs because like they're so traumatized from Jen Shaw's vagina. This is the epitome of if you don't watch Bravo, you just don't get it. Because if like your parents or like literally any non-Bravo watcher, even Julie walked in on this particular part of the reunion when Andy is like very seriously saying, so your children left to go to Best Buy because they saw Jen's vagina. I was like, people would think that we were from fucking outer space. <laughs>
1: <laughs> or even a step further of us trying to imagine what Brooks and Chloe are buying at Best Buy because they want to kill time so that Jen Shaw can leave their house because she wasn't wearing underwear and they saw her vagina. Like, These are the things that are so
0: amazing and that you just cannot write. You, c- you can't replicate it. You just can't. I'm sorry. You can't. Also, this is a one kind of interesting development, which we didn't know when Jen says, and I quote, I visibly saw Brooks upset because he came upstairs and you were smoking and he was pissed because you were smoking. And Meredith is kind of saying like, yeah, but who cares? Kind of saying like, yeah, he was upset, but that's not the reason. And don't try to pretend that it was. And I thought what was so interesting was when Meredith kind of accuses Jen of having video footage of her smoking and Jen denies it, but I got to tell you something. I thought that that denial was bullshit. I really, I don't know what the public opinion is on there, but I felt like she was lying.
1: I totally felt like she was lying. And the thing is, Meredith is like, who the fuck cares? I have a couple cigarettes. Like, whatever. If we're in Europe, no one would even bat an eye. But she, Jen, she knew that Jen saw it as a negative thing and was trying to get footage of her, like that whole sentiment says so much about Jen as a person and how sneaky she was. And like how could you ever trust someone in your own home? They're filming you trying to have blackmail on you. Like that that alone is enough for her to never want to be friends with her again.
0: The thing is you also have to look at this, you know, and really kind of contextualize it, because if we had no background, maybe you wouldn't know who's telling the truth. But This is the same woman that has gone around town talking about Meredith's marriage and alleging things about other people that she was sleeping with, which ended up being true. It's not even about that. And talking about her separation publicly and then not ever coming clean to really Meredith about it. So listen, if if I'm looking at history, if I want to make an informed decision on who I think is telling the truth, even if I had nothing to do with the way that Jen reacted, which in my opinion, if she really was telling the truth, she would have defended that more and been like appalled at that accusation. I'm using past behavior. That's an indicator for me.
1: It has to be. And Meredith even tweeted, this is another layer of it. I know we spoke about this so like I think when that episode was on. Meredith tweeted, quote, I care about Meredith's kids, which is something Jen said. Jen had never met Chloe before that night and was coming over to meet her. That was Brooke's third time seeing her. Chloe has not seen her since. That night was the third time that Jen had ever been in my home. Which... We dissected this really closely because Jen arrives and she's like, hi, I love you. I love her kids. I feel like you're my own kids. She felt so comfortable there, which was not the case at all.
0: Pause it. Wait, did you see fucking Gwyneth commented free Britney on the overheard post? No way. What did we do? We obviously posted. Hold on. Oh my God, we're still recording should we keep this in holy fucking shit oh
1: my god gwyneth.
0: Sh- no my hands are shaking <laughs> like I, my hands are shaking not like uh, too full can i tell you the two reasons that it's sh- they're shaking yeah on one hand i'm like so happy that gwyneth is like saying this because obviously fucking hashtag free britney but also i so badly want Overheard's loves to get to 300k and this will not- do it cbc yeah oh my fucking god fuck yeah gwyneth free britney Sorry about that interruption. And to be totally honest with you, I don't know when we go back to editing what part of that conversation we're going to end up keeping in, but okay. that comment just like needed to be posted immediately. Um, I can't remember exactly what you were saying, but and I feel like it brings us perfectly to the point that I know we distinctly wanted to discuss, which was, I know it's kind of minor, but when they're having that disagreement about like, you asked me to sleep over, no, you didn't, you passed out, that whole thing. Because I think it was it Meredith that tweeted something.
1: So Jen tweeted, she gave me the tracksuit in December and the grinder grinder ground grinder night was in January two different sleepovers and so she posted one Instagram of her in the Brooks tracksuit from December 13th 2019 and then she posted a screenshot of a text on January 8th 2020 that says hi are you finished we're finished we're going to grab food and go back to Park City will you be home and Meredith says, where are you, SLC? I'm here. Should we go for a drink when you get back, or you can come here? Just let me know, and I'm still in my Brooks Mark sweats, LOL. Jen says, LOL. I can put my Brooks Mark sweats on, too. Yes, I'm an SLC. I can come over. We can hang out there. Make Stewart drive us somewhere to drink. And she said, perfect. Text me on the way. Basically proving, like, when the sweatsuit was obtained. Another thing of like, when did you get your hands on a Brooks Marks tracksuit? That will solve all the mysteries of our friendship and our sleepovers.
0: (laughs) Another thing that aliens would be like, what the fuck?
1: What the literal fuck is going on?
0: I know. Honestly, I have no shame in saying this. I want one. Oh,
1: I obviously need one. We're going to get one. (laughs) Like, don't even worry. When Andy Andy was like, I got to get one of them, Meredith's like, I'm sure we can arrange that. Like, no shit, Andy, we can get you a sweatsuit.
0: I know. It was just so funny because it's like, I actually happen to like those just because I like sweatsuits. But honestly, there's so many Bravo things. And I'm not like this with other celebrities. Like, I don't normally buy celebrities' products unless I actually really like it. Even like Kardashian stuff, I only really like skims. But There's something about buying that Bravo stuff that like, it feels like an artifact in a way. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I want to build like a little museum, which is just, yeah, you're right. It's different.
0: Okay, can we talk about this conversation they had when Andy was kind of asking the other women, like, do you guys sympathize with Jen after having a further understanding of why she acts out, which is a conversation we have had, I feel like consistently over this podcast, basically like not justifying her behavior, but maybe contextualizing some of it.
1: Should we do a little Lisa, Mary roleplay? You be Mary, I be Lisa.
0: (laughs) I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) This is after Heather is saying that I think we've always sympathized with Jen. Mary says, you all have, except me. They understand the malicious treatment that I get, but they seem to run to her rescue.
1: Lisa says, Mary, that was snarky. That was not nice. I'm kind to both of you and I can be kind to both of you.
0: You're not kind to me.
1: I check in on you all the time. Mary, if you knew how kind I was and she like puts her hand up.
0: Don't put your hand up at me.
1: I'm putting my hand up because I'm a New Yorker and this is how I talk.
0: And Heather with one of the lines of the night, Lisa, you've lived in Utah for 20 years.
1: <laughs> Lisa's Woo! like, I've been back and forth there. You don't know anything about me. That's where I grew up. Sorry, you want my mom to come here right now?
0: Mary, Lisa doesn't care for me. And this is when Lisa kind of basically says like, that's not true, Mary. I have tried multiple times to get Jen to make up with you, et cetera. Here's my take on this like one little interaction. Again, I don't really quite understand why Lisa was defending Jen so hard. And it almost felt, and maybe this isn't the case, but it almost felt like her defense of Jen really was brought to the surface the most or was at the highest level of defense when it was regarding Mary. Do you know what I mean? It was like she almost felt the most defensive of Jen as it applied to Mary. She even wasn't that defensive of Jen when it came to Heather, because I think maybe a part of her agreed with Heather. I don't really understand what was happening there.
1: But she still wants to paint herself as like this neutral middle ground. A big problem too with Lisa that no one really addressed, well, Heather does later, but that comes out here, is that Lisa has this feeling of like when she does nice things or says nice things about people or almost does the right thing, that she should be praised, that that should be noted. Like, I'm so nice to you, that that should be she should be applauded for that that that's a point in her book. or I have called Jen to try and get you guys to make up like, oh, okay, like fine, you know, you are nice to me. That doesn't equal being nice and respectful for someone. You know what I mean? Like she kept wanting a pat on the back for all of these actions, and it's like that you're just doing the right thing.
0: Well, that's the thing that Heather kind of. Acknowledge. It's kind of like the conversation we have sometimes when we're talking about relationships, like hetero heterosexual relationships with men. And it's like, okay, why are we giving him the credit for the fucking bare minimum? Like the bar is on the floor, the bar is below the floor. That's kind of how I felt with Lisa. It's like you you don't get praise for just like being a kind person.
1: Right. we're, we're gonna that will come up again with Heather, but this is when now when I think back, because like obviously the conversation comes up later, but it's like you see the pattern of behavior even before you bring it
0: up. Right. And the one thing that I want to say, even though I loved this line, it was the fucking, uh, the the line that sparked so many memes and I stan Heather. The point about Lisa living in Utah was honestly not that accurate because how many New Yorkers do you know that haven't lived there for 30 years and still have those same tendencies? So like you, I will never, ever come out against Heather 99% of the time and I'm not coming out against her, but like in Lisa's defense, my dad hasn't lived in Brooklyn for 60 years and he still's like that, you know?
1: Of course. It was less about like the actual thing, but it's like Lisa cut the bullshit.
0: Heather exactly. just has
1: good timing. It's like comedic timing, but in the right way, of like, she just has like a little way of jabbing in a per it was perfect.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Whew. Okay, we gotta get into this Lisa package, and honestly, I'm gonna roll my shoulders back. I would suggest you do the same. Anybody listening, this is about to get very intense, so take a moment and uh, let's gather ourselves and let's get into it, shall we?
1: I mean, from here on out, it's like the Lisa Barlow show, showdown. I I don't even know, right?
0: guns blazing. I mean, seriously, this was like, she was on a mission and everybody wants us to mention it. We got literally hundreds of DMs. Yes. We obviously noted her spray tan hands. However, I can't find it in myself to uh, make fun of her for it because I've been there. Like, I can't spray tan anymore because of that reason. But I have definitely been there when I've looked down at my hands and I've been so mortified at how orange they were. So I noticed it. It was terrible for TV, but like, in terms of karma, I, I don't think I can criticize it because I've fucking been there.
1: I can't, I, yes, I've been there and also she looked so great otherwise that like, whatever, everyone has a flaw.
0: So this entire package was basically how they were trying to communicate to her that like Lisa loves Lisa. And the first point that's brought up after they go through that little montage is asking her the question, is her ambition more important than her family? And this was the first time that you really saw her break down because I think that that accusation is really hurtful to her. And To be totally honest with you, say what you want about Lisa. I do not agree with the way that she acted in a lot of this. That's not fair because that question would never, ever be asked if it was a man, ever. If there was a man that was talking about how hard they worked or how much they put their business um, first and how much they prioritized it, they would never be questioned about if that came at the expense of their children. I really don't feel that way. So I could understand why she got so emotional about that and to allege that she's a bad mom, I think is just completely unfair.
1: This also now looking back at some of the points Heather brings up later is another thing that I realize of like, I think Lisa is very, very, very aware of what kind of image and what kind of person she wants to be portrayed as. And I do think like, listen, I, we are the most like women supporting women to quote Ramona Singer, <laughs> even though like I hate to do that. Um <laughs> you know, like women's empowerment, like whatever. I love it. I love all of her everything. But there is a part of me that does feel like she wanted that image of busy, busy, busy. I have no time for anything. You know, I don't even answer the phone when my kids call it Sundance. Like, I want everyone to think that I'm the hardest working hustler, etc. Like, I think she wanted that image, but also not at the expense of being a mother. So it is a double-edged sword. And like Again, asking this question, you're right, it would never be asked to a man. However, I think she worked really hard to make sure that she. it was known that she was the hardest working woman on the cast.
0: Yes, you're so right. That's why it was almost like, not in my opinion, I still don't think it's like an acceptable point. I mean, I know it was just a viewer question, but it's it's it was more palatable because she purposely like she really was going above and beyond to show that image it wasn't like they were just drawing that conclusion she framed her entire thing about it so i guess you could argue it was a fair question i just i got why she was emotional and i completely understood that and i don't think that her kids feel like under, under cared for
1: no also keep in mind like This reunion is shot after she's gotten everyone's feedback, like we said before. She's probably gotten so many DMs. People are absolutely ruthless. So like the burden of that in this moment to bring it up, it's definitely more sensitive than say in the middle of the season when the producers are asking her during confessionals like, do you have time for your kids? Do you have time to work? And she can say like, no, I have no time, blah, blah, blah. It's almost like it's extra overwhelming now that you have so much built up from the public's feedback on your situation with your family and your kids, which I can imagine is really, really, really difficult.
0: Right, which we're going to get into. Yeah. Yeah. This was an interesting question because I believe it's, yeah, Andy says, you're better than thou, attitude is off-putting. After watching yourself, do you think you need fine-tuning in the attitude department? And she says, quote, I'm very comfortable with myself. I know what I have to do. You cannot do what I do and not be who I am. I accomplished a lot. I created brands. I've had a job since I was 12 years old. And Mary says, well, you do come across a snobby. You have a stick up your butt. And Whitney says, so you can't be nice. This was a misaligned interaction. There were two different things happening here. Nobody was trying to discredit how hard she works. However, working really hard is not an excuse for making people feel less than. And when five people are telling you, or four people are telling you that you do that, maybe it's time to take a look in the mirror. It's the same thing that I said about Jen.
1: I think they were trying to get across to her, you working really hard is not our issue with you. It's that is not an excuse for your behavior. Like you can't justify, like A doesn't equal B, you can't justify not being a good, nice person or treating us certain ways because you work really hard or because you're successful in your businesses.
0: Right, and also by the way, like even that statement in and of itself is condescending because it basically is saying like, the only reason that I have the ability to not act like that is because I work harder than you. She didn't say it, but that's exactly what she's communicating without saying it.
1: Yeah, that's just like her aura that she gives off and that's what is really bothersome to everyone. I get it and I feel it, especially this reunion. I feel it.
0: When Lisa says, quote, I hear everything she's saying. I take it with a grain of salt. I think people misinterpret direct with cold and bitchy. I'm actually really warm, very nurturing. I have a lot of people who love me. I want everyone to be lifted up. That's just who I am. I've tried to be nice to Whitney. When Whitney was doing interview looks and some of her stuff came late from blank, we'll get into that in a second. I said she can borrow anything from my closet. And Whitney says, I think the point is what you're missing, you don't see yourself as being rude or condescending, but it's landing that way. And they have this little back and forth. It was bleeped out. My gut was that Lisa was saying when her stuff came late from Poshmark or Rent the Runway.
1: I was going to say Rent the Runway. At first, I went back. I thought it was Nordstrom. But then when they were saying even that is shady, it had to be Rent the Runway.
0: Let me make this very important clarification to make sure that everybody is very clear where we stand. There is literally nothing wrong with Poshmark or Rent the Runway. We both happen to be very big fans of both of those things. However, I can understand why Whitney felt like Lisa making that um, like comment that alludes to her either not owning her stuff or owning secondhand stuff. Again, literally nothing wrong with that. We are big utilizers of both of those things. That like it, It's another kind of underhanded comment, which I thoroughly agree with her that 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 was intentional on Lisa's
1: behalf. Oh yes. And also paired with when her rented clothes or her secondhand clothes, which in her tone was in a condescending way, didn't come, I offered her my closet. She could borrow anything she wanted of mine. That was what was like, okay, even if what you're saying is factual, your delivery of it and your purposeful like it you're right. You're right. I nobody loves it more than us. Like those are the best things ever. And I think Whitney even would be like, yeah, fuck yeah. I rent my clothes. Like why am I going to buy a three thousand dollar blouse that I'm wearing for one day for the interviews? She would totally own it. But the the way that Lisa lands the point and contrast it with her saying, you know, I was so nice offering up my full closet. It's like, no.
0: Yeah. I- She just keeps getting in her own way. It's like she really, really keeps sabotaging her point because everything that she's doing to try to prove how she's not this like cold way or this condescending way, even in her explanation, is coming across as inherently condescending. And by the way, she's not wrong about the point that direct can be misinterpreted with cold and bitchy. Again, something that only happens with women. But that's not the case here, because a lot of these women are direct. You know what I mean? She's not the only direct one on the cast. I would argue Mary's actually very direct as well. It's more so that she, she does have a little bit of this aura where she feels like she's better. And I don't think she's a bad person. I, I really don't. I think she's right. She can be really nurturing. And I think she probably can be a really good friend, but only if she deems you valuable. And like it seems that Meredith is the only one and maybe Jen that she deems, quote, valuable on the cast.
1: I also think because of how much she really like loves herself and she owns that, which is great, She just has these blinders of not understanding how other people perceive that. And like, of course, there is a big difference between being really confident, really proud of yourself, which you should be. And that is an amazing quality to have. And I wish more people had that and projecting it onto other people that they're less than you. And I just think Lisa completely doesn't see it or feel it or hear it when she makes comments like that. She doesn't hear it. Like, I go back and forth between, oh, she's so purposeful, trying to be mean, cool girl, like Heather says later, versus when she says things like that, completely missing the mark of like, what's wrong with what I just said?
0: Yeah. I think the best way I can sum it up is she was just lacking emotional intelligence in this entire thing. And I- you know, it can't be ignored. I know we're about to get into this. It can't be ignored that she already had a fire lit under her because she was so upset by the public perception. And she feels like she kind of got, I don't know if you want to say a bad edit, or she kind of felt like the world was against her. And I get that. I understand the defensiveness that can come with that. However, it was like, you you can have a little bit more compassion in under in just receiving people's criticism even if you want to disagree with it there's a way to receive it that comes across as a little bit more like open and there was just no open dialogue
1: no she didn't she doesn't want the feedback but it's also like you're here having an open conversation about what everyone's issues are with you and why you came across a certain way on the show you can't be this you can't be so resistant to hear everyone else's perspective. They're not giving you a bulleted list necessarily of what you should change, but they're saying this is how I feel, and this is how almost all of us sitting here feel you treat us. And by the way, America happens to echo our sentiments.
0: Yeah, let's get into this because you know, when Lisa's saying that Heather and Whitney kind of like tell her who she is and like what she feels. And Whitney's basically saying, no, you try to tell us what we feel and who we are. And this is when the point that we were making earlier, I think you were making earlier when Lisa kind of uses the fact that she gave Heather all these accolades in her interview, like I'm building you up. I'm nice to you as a point of praise. And Heather's like, that's not a gift." Like you saying nice things about me is not some sort of benevolent gift from the queen of the world. Like that is human interaction. I do it every day and I don't bring it out as a feather in my cap. And you know something? That is spot on. Not just because I like Heather. I would agree if any single woman on the couch, including Lisa, made that point. I really disagree with when people are making almost like a tally of the nice things that they've done. The kindest people don't speak about their kindness. They just do kind actions in silence. So to bring that up as a point was not necessarily that... Um, that valid of an argument in my opinion.
1: And the things that Lisa was bringing up, she made it seem like they were these over the top grand gestures that she did, that because she did them, the they should be forever grateful to her. And like of course, you know, there are things that are really nice. Like for example, Jen planning that shopping day for Heather in Vegas, that was more of a gesture that was Forward facing, I want to spend more time together. Here's my olive branch to you. But telling Whitney, you know, I'm I'm always nice to you. You could I told you you could borrow my clothes. You know, I was really nice to about you in an interview, like that so what? Like, oh, just because you said nice things about me, I should be forever grateful because it's such a rare gift from God. Like, that is it, it's so layered with how she sees herself.
0: I know. And I still I'm saying all this stuff and like as you're talking I'm literally nodding aggressively. I still like her. Like I still don't dislike her. If somebody said to me do you want her on for season 2, I would say absolutely. I don't even dislike her and I like watching her. I just like really disagreed with a lot of what she was doing here.
1: Honestly, same. I know I'm going fucking hard on her because I this reunion was just not a good look for her. I also have to give her credit. It was a lot of people jumping down her throat at once and I think in that moment it must be so hard.
0: When Lisa says, I just like myself, people read books about liking themselves. There's nothing wrong with liking myself and being confident. Confidence got me where I am today. They don't understand all the things I have going on. The thing is that statement in a box is absolutely accurate. Confidence is a beautiful quality. And she's right. People do work really hard to be confident and she should be proud of that. And she shouldn't have to defend that or kind of try to diminish it. That's great, especially as a woman. However, like Mary makes the point of saying like, confidence and condescending are not the same thing. And so you can be confident without making other people feel less than. And I just feel like there was um, a disconnect there.
1: That's what I think Lisa really doesn't understand. No one is putting her down for being confident. No one's putting her down for thinking, you know, fuck yeah, walk into the room and think you're hot shit. You know you look good when you walk in the room. Like, No one is saying that, no one's necessarily saying like you're so self-obsessed. Right? They're not saying like you're narcissistic or you know, you only care about yourself, etc. They're saying it is abundantly clear that you think to quote Kelly Bensimone to Bethany Frankel that you're up here and we're down
0: here. Oh my God, I love when you throw out a little bit of a vintage New York quote to me. Thank you so much. That really just chilled me. Well, <laughs> I I I agree with you, but I also like Let's just be honest here. They were saying that in the earlier parts of the season, that's exactly what they were saying when they were in their confessional and Whitney's saying, you know, Lisa loves Lisa. They're at Mary's luncheon and they're talking about, you know, uh what they the thing about themselves that's the most challenging. And Lisa basically gives the equivalent of like, I'm a perfectionist as my worst quality type situation. So they were saying that she's narcissistic and self-obsessed. However, that's not their number one complaint here. So it's not fair to say they've never said that. They have said that, but that's not honestly what they have a problem with. That's more of like a petty thing.
1: Right. Like that's what I'm saying. If she was just really full of herself, this wouldn't be the conversation. It's that it then affects them and how she treats them. Like we've seen housewives time and time again, by the way, Andy, I think said this, was it on Potomac when he's like, we're all a little narcissistic. Like, look at us. We're si- Oh no. in OC, he said that when they were talking about Bronwyn. We're, you know, we're all a little narcissistic. Here we are sitting on a stage with 10 cameras in full glam, like talking about ourselves. There's an element of that, that like, you have to be confident and think you're a great character to be on this show. But the extra layer of like, I also think you're all below me is when it starts affecting them personally.
0: Right, exactly, exactly. And this is when Mary and Lisa kind of get into it because when Mary says like, I don't make people feel less than, and Lisa says, you do actually, Mary stops her and says, who did I make feel less than? And Lisa says, Jen and people at your church when I've watched. And Mary says, don't talk about my church. I'm not bringing up your alcohol. I just wanna say, Mary's right in the sense of like, We're not bringing work into this. That being said, and I know I'm not alone in this, watching that scene when she was talking to her congregants, and I don't know, I'm not familiar with how she conducts her church, so I'm not trying to make an assumption. However, it did feel a little bit demeaning to me, and I know that that social media had the same opinion. I don't know if her congregants feel that way, but I mean, not that I think that Lisa should have brought that point up in the moment, but like, it's not like she threw that out of nowhere. The entire world or a lot of people had that same opinion when they watched Um, Mary talk about her congregants. And we saw that other uh, audio clip circulating, which there was never confirmation of whether or not it was actually her, but it's not the worst point in the entire world, even though I agree with Mary more.
1: Right. I at first was thinking, oh, it's only that clip that went viral of her allegedly talking that was recorded. But then I realized, no, there were clips of her in church that Lisa could have based that off of. So it's so hard because They put their businesses and their lives out there, and like that is after their husbands and their kids, the most sacred thing. So it's like they put it out there. Of course, it's open to critique, but that's really hard. It's like a part of them.
0: Yeah. Also, like a lot of people were saying this. I I don't know. I just I I get hesitant to judge these things because I don't know the ins and outs of the relationship. But like was I a little bit uncomfortable with Mary's dynamic with her housekeeper? A little bit, but maybe that's just their relationship. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't think that it was the most necessary clarification that she kept having to say, like, we're not friends. Like, we're not at all friends. Like, yeah, it did seem a little bit condescending to me. And maybe that's just because I, I just, I'm like, I'm hypersensitive to that when it comes to like, you know, h- housekeeping staff or just like the way people talk to their staff. But then again, it seems to be working great for the housekeeper. So I don't really know. But like, it that wasn't the worst point Lisa made all reunion, you know?
1: Well, first of all, I think her housekeeper no longer works for her. I saw a rumor of that. Also, we saw so little of Mary that I genuinely feel it's unfair to judge. Listen, we are seeing so little of all of these women. When you think about the hours that they filmed and how much life that they live that we haven't seen over how you know 13 hours, that's nothing. That's nothing to judge people and to learn anything about them. But Mary, we really saw so much less of her and so much less of her interacting with other people and in enough different situations that we can get a clear picture of her. So I just don't feel I feel like I know her but I don't know her well enough to speak so deeply about these things because we just literally didn't get to see her in so many different dynamics.
0: I know it's it's no it's completely true you just feel like you know the other woman better because they were just more seen. I mean it's just a fact. Yeah. This is when Andy kind of asked Meredith if she wants to say anything because she's watching Lisa get dragged and she basically says like, I think that Lisa could say the same thing to me and it would come across completely different because we have a different relationship, which was a fair point. It probably wasn't as heavy of a defense as Lisa would have liked, but you know what? Meredith isn't going to try to invalidate what everyone else is saying and I think that that was a fair point to make.
1: Yeah, I do too.
0: Okay, this bartender thing, I literally think two weeks ago is when I said that if I had to pinpoint the moment when Lisa Barlow completely discarded Whitney in her mind, it was this conversation when she said a negative thing about her bartenders, which I think Lisa interpreted as a negative statement on her business, specifically publicly on camera, and Lisa basically confirmed that here, that she did not like that. That really kind of put a bad taste in her mouth about Whitney for the entire season.
1: It is so true. It was the first conflict we saw between them and that set the tone and then we kind of forgot about it.
0: It was interesting when uh, they're kind of talking about this back and forth, and Whitney kind of pulls out the text, which which Andy's like, Listen, babe, this is not a good Xerox. Um, Whitney was trying to communicate, like, Listen, I can fund my own alcohol. This was going to be filmed. Like, I was just trying to do that as an olive branch. And at first, like, if you don't know any context, it could kind of feel like bullshit. But when I saw the text, like, I do think that that was her intention.
1: Let me read them because then I also want to talk about when. Lisa says how much it costs because it's another bullet on her list. So Whitney tweeted, oops, here's the original. Now you can pass it around because Housewives 101, you're going to print receipts. They have to be legible. Like Monique (laughs) Samuels was rolling like, come on, if I could color code tabs, you could get a working printer. Exactly. So, (laughs) So... Whitney texted Lisa and said, secondly, Justin and I celebrate our 10-year anniversary this month and are doing a vow renewal on the 22nd. We'll have a small film crew there. Do you want to have Vita there? I already have the catering and bar lined up with culinary crafts, but just thought I'd offer since it's being filmed. Me interjecting, I think this is probably at like the very beginning stages of when they're filming, developing. They don't know what's going on, but she knows that there will be cameras there. And Lisa says, congrats, that's so awesome. Yes, that would be perfect. I work with culinary a lot. Are they doing your bar? That's so sweet of you to think of me. Sundance would be so hard. It's so different now. It's very corporate. Meredith does a party every year. I donate the tequila. It may be cool to have a skincare bar with her fur, bags, and jewelry. All the stuff I do is with huge film companies and they don't, and it's cut off there. But the most important is Whitney's initial reach out text, which is very clearly Good intentions of saying, I have a caterer, but thought I would support you, and if I'm going to have tequila there, I might as well let my friend have some airtime. Yeah. I mean, do you think that was bullshit? No, I don't at all. I don't think she wanted free tequila. I think she had a full stock bar with other stuff, too. Lisa... Guys, like, Lisa wasn't stocking the whole fucking bar. She wasn't giving wine and whiskey and beer and, like, everything. She was literally just giving her tequila and making that, like, the focal point of the bar. You know, it... She wasn't saving the day. And when Lisa said... You know, the bartenders don't work for Vita. They're contract bartenders, and I recommended them to Whitney because I use them a lot. And I offered to pay for one as a gift. It was a little under $2,000, and I was happy to do it. That's a huge thing for her.
0: That was what was – see? That was exactly prime what they're talking about. Again, to be very I I hate that I always have to feel like I have to justify these things and I I, I feel like are probably the 95% of people listening you know that our intentions are always good but you're always going to get the one person that feels like, you know, it's, it's we're saying something with the bad intentions. So just to clarify, $2000 is a lot of fucking money. Don't think I'm not saying that. However, Lisa in this context like Lisa in this context to say like that's a big deal for Whitney as if like Whitney couldn't afford the $2000. I to my in my opinion that was a little bit of a dig.
1: And also just mentioning a price at all of what you gifted her, I think, is just kind of tacky. And Whitney says, I can afford my own bar. I wanted to invite Vita to show women supporting women and be like, Lisa, this is an olive branch so we can build a relationship. And Lisa says, you never said that. The way you sent the text message, I felt like. And Whitney then pulls it out. And her text is what I just read, which to me is like so clearly, I have a film crew here. I, you know, what? I'm going to put fucking don julio in front when i have a friend with a tequila business no like let me give her the center spotlight
0: right exactly also just as a quick sign up before we move on to the the next point like don't you know what i mean about what i was saying just a second ago about like the like i don't i don't i feel like we both do it and it probably comes across as annoying to a lot of the audience like okay why are they justifying it i the reason i'm just so that you guys i can be really transparent i don't respond well to like people misinterpreting my point so i would always rather just like take an extra second to be like there's nothing wrong with the Rent the Runway, then like not make that clarification and then have somebody be like, can't believe you would bash Rent the Runway. And it's like, I that's not what I was doing, you know? No,
1: also because we get wrapped up in like this world. You know what I mean? Like we're just like going deep in the drama and everything. And it's like, we're just talking about the housewives here. We just want peace
0: i know i know i i just feel like i just want to like acknowledge i'm sorry if that gets annoying i do like i can't not do it though because it's i'd rather have like people be annoyed for 30 seconds than like a paragraph dm about why we're terrible people because we think that rent the runway is trashy which like we don't and never said
1: right it's like we're just talking about what they think
0: yeah I came to the realization recently that I was just like desperately in need of a closet clean out because you know when you're getting ready and you just can't find anything, you have so many things that you don't even wear that you can't find the stuff that you do wear and it's just like a chaotic and unenjoyable process. That was me. I'm still, to be honest with you, in the process of cleaning out, but one of the biggest game changers for me in this process has been finding just like high quality essentials that I can mix and match with anything so that I can have less things, but the things that I have, I can wear with a lot. And I've told you guys about them before, but I think that Quince is one of the best at this in terms of just finding the high quality, affordable pieces. And they have a lot of really great sweaters. I love their Mongolian cashmere oversized boyfriend cardigans. I just find them to be so comfortable. I have them in a bunch of colors. They also have washable silk tops, which are amazing, like really easy, comfortable, high quality throw-ons that you can wear for so many different occasions. And the best part is all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. So. The way that it works is by partnering directly with top factories. Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and then passes that savings on to us, which is kind of like best case scenario for all involved. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. So indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash CBC for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's com slash CBC to get free shipping and 365-day returns. quince.com slash CBC. Okay, this is also like, if you're gonna rank moments of the reunion, this is definitely, I would say, in the top five. When Lisa says to Heather, you're committed to thinking I'm horrible, so I'm horrible to you. And Heather says, it's not my fault the way America has perceived you. It's not based on what I've said about you, Lisa. It's based on how you've conducted your life. When we're not even in the room, people are getting that from you. It's not a Whitney and Heather problem, it's a Lisa problem.
1: Very profound.
0: I I mean- that was a poignant argument that I I agree with. And honestly, it's, it's almost a compliment to Heather that Lisa was saying that Heather could shift public opinion so much when like, yes, to a certain level she can because people have chosen to stand her, but they've chosen to stand her not for an arbitrary reason because she's just constantly communicated kindness and a level headed behavior. And like, it's not that people hate Lisa. I personally like her. Like I don't hate her at all. I just think that like, yeah, the way that she conducted herself does leave a little bit of a Worst taste in people's mouths.
1: Right. I do think, like, there's such a different air in the room after they've seen how the public and, like, knowing that you're going into this almost with a target on your back or you're fighting with Heather, who is a fan favorite, like, there's a new, there's like a new woman at the table almost. Like, there's another element now that you didn't have before when you were just going on about your lives day to day and having arguments. Now you kind of can feel like, oh, nobody sided with me on that one or people do think this about me or people echo Heather's and Whitney's sentiments about me. Like that is a lot of added pressure I get why Lisa was so kind of like taken aback by that and also why she's hurt.
0: Yeah, I mean, listen, we always say this. When the entire world is coming at you about like your mothering and you being cold, and even if things that are true, like that's terrifying. So I don't mean to diminish how she must feel about that because that is scary. I can't even imagine it for 30 seconds. I was just saying how I can't even deal with people like misinterpreting my point for a second. It upsets me. So I can't imagine what that must feel like. That being said, that's totally valid. Blaming it on Heather is what's invalid. So, like, her point to a certain level makes sense. But then when she there's no accountability. It's a Jen Shaw situation.
1: Yeah. And then this is when Mary says like, Heather, you care really deeply. And Heather says, of course I care deeply, which to me made me realize like it's one of Heather's best qualities, but it's also her fatal flaw is that she cares so deeply and personally about all of these women and her relationships and what people think about her, but not in a negative way that everything really affects her so deep in her soul.
0: Yeah. She's got to read the empath survival guide. She's she's an empath, which is her most beautiful quality. I think if she had to choose it, she would keep it. However, it does hit a little bit deeper. And, you know, I Mary was kind of playing her role that I would imagine she kind of um, does a lot in church, which is like getting to the root of it and like coming at it from more of a um, like higher angle of like, communicate that to Lisa, like communicate that you care.
1: Yeah. That was her role was like, you know, Go go a little further. This is what she needs to hear.
0: Yeah, it was almost like Mary in that moment was playing, dare I say, a therapeutic role. Yeah, you're right. And Heather's basically saying like, "I'm traumatized by what you've done to me, Lisa." Which Lisa comes back by saying like, "No, I'm traumatized by what you've done to me." Which, like, at that point, there was just no resolve. It was very clear there was going to be no resolve in this night.
1: Yeah, there was just they weren't even on the same planet.
0: And when Lisa's calling her out, like, you've called me dismissive, a mean girl, several times. And she's like, yeah, I have. And I don't think you're necessarily upset about that. I think that you portray those things on purpose, which honestly is, like, if you're choosing between two things, that's kind of the best of the two because it's it's better to be conscious of it and, like, actively portraying it than, like, doing it and not even noticing. If I'm, if I'm choosing, like, the lesser of two evils, I guess I would choose that option. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think I said this before, but I think that was a really great point because- I don't know. It just reminds me of like in high school of like girls who want that like cooler vibe of like untouchable, like I'm the coolest. And they purposefully do things that give them that reputation. And then it's like, well, you've gone a little too far almost and you've dug your own grave.
0: Yes, exactly. I mean, this is when Whitney says like, my my issue is that I've never spoken up about how I feel and I'm changing that and now I am. And oh my God, we didn't even talk about this. When Lisa says like, you guys are manipulative, you made up a whole lie to get her to not be my friend pointing to Meredith. Oh my God, I had the breath taken right out of me. What the fuck? Do we know about that?
1: I, are we just like forgetting? What are they talking about? Because I was like, okay, it's not the, it's, I, what what is it?
0: I don't know, but that was the first time, am I wrong what I'm about to say? That was the first time this entire reunion that there was any tension acknowledged between the two of them. Yes. Which like after she said it, it's like, okay, it makes kind of more sense why maybe Meredith wasn't gunning as hard for her, even though I don't think she would have anyway. But like you could sense that there was a little bit of disconnect. And I don't know if some of that came from how hard Lisa was going for Jen. I don't really know.
1: I don't either. I, I can't believe we have two more fucking parts. We are so lucky.
0: I'm so overwhelmed. What else are we missing from this episode? I know we had said like we'll do this in 50 minutes, and now it's like fucking an hour and 30 minutes later.
1: <laughs> Nothing. Just a funny moment when Whitney they uh, Andy asked you know if you were if you were a swinger who would you pick? And she says Meredith, but not Seth. Just Meredith.
0: That was a great moment.
1: I love like little cute
0: moments like that. Also, like. I thought Meredith looked breathtaking. Like, I hands down, she was my winner. I thought it's the best she looked all season.
1: I think they all looked amazing. The set was gorgeous, straight out of a Hallmark movie. And I don't know if it's because the OC was so disappointing um, overall, like looks-wise, set-wise, everything. This was just magic.
0: No, but don't you think that that haircut on Meredith is spectacular?
1: Yeah. They yes, she looked amazing. Everyone's boobs looked amazing, which is like so important. It was great. It was a feast for the eyes.
0: Yeah, they all honestly happened to look really good. They did. Um anything else from this reunion that you want to mention? I'm
1: like I'm fucking sweating. No, I'm I'm like I need to take a nap before we move on. But great episode and
0: wow. Okay, let's take an ad break and then we will come back with some less intense conversations. So there are obviously so many different reasons that a person would want to learn a new language. Maybe you have an upcoming trip, or maybe you just want to pick up a new skill or hobby, or maybe you're like me and at one point you were almost fluent in Spanish and then you kind of lost it and are trying to get it back. Whatever the reason, I want to tell you about Rosetta Stone, which is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app, and it really immerses you in the language that you want to learn, which again for me was Spanish, and I was kind of relearning, I guess I could say, because I really do feel that when I was abroad there, I had it so much better, and my dad would always tell me, if you don't use it, you lose it, and I kind of lost it. So first of all, number one about Rosetta Stone, they have been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Second of all, it's fast language acquisition, so They immerse you in many ways. It's no English translation, so you're really learning to speak, listen, and think in that language, which for me, that's when I always could feel it clicking, when I noticed myself really thinking in the language. It's an intuitive process. So you're picking up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences, and it really is designed for long-term retention. Also, speech recognition. So they have a built-in true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation, kind of like having a personal trainer for your accent. It's convenient, there are desktop and app options with audio companion and ability to download lessons offline, and it's an amazing value. A lifetime membership has all 25 languages for any and all trips and language needs in life. That's lifetime access to all 25 language courses Rosetta Stone offers for 50% off, which is a steal. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Comments by Celebs listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettasone.com comments. That's a 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettasone.com slash comments today.
1: Okay, I know we've said this before, but I think today is the final wrap-up of the Craig and Austin and Kristen Cavallari saga.
0: I think so too. I, I actually feel confident in that answer.
1: I can't promise that there won't be some Madison J. Cutler in the future, but I really feel like we got some answers because Kristen was on Craig and Austin's podcast Pillows and Beer in the episode called Unbothered with Kristen Cavallari. Okay, so as we know – The day after they filmed the Southern Charm reunion, Craig and Austin went to Nashville and that was the weekend that all of their Instagram lives of them dancing, Kristen on Austin's shoulders, that's when that all happened. And they had recorded their first episode of the podcast when they were there. It never came out. They actually had two other episodes and never Kristen. And they explained that they're redoing this episode because when they recorded, when they were there, Austin was still riding the anxiety train and it just was not a good episode and they felt like they had way more to get out now.
0: Yeah, which like I was glad that they did it. I really was. I I enjoyed listening to it. Um and I felt like the timing was so much better from an entertainment perspective because like they had so much more under their belt. It was kind of like they were not in the middle of the drama. It was almost like on the back end of it, which you could tell there was like an ease of conversation that that was I think beneficial for the overall tone.
1: Yeah, it would have been too it would have been so anticlimactic if they'd recorded it before any of this went down and just talked about like business and their friendship and reality TV. At least now they could use this as like a platform
0: to clear things up. I think the way that we should do this for like efficiency sake um, is obviously we're not going to talk about every single thing. Why don't we almost do it like bulleted of like the major takeaways from this that like if you've been following this saga, you kind of need to be aware of. Yes, I agree.
1: Okay, I'll start. Number one, They cleared up the sliding into the DMs thing, which we have talked about over and over, that they kept using the terminology sliding into the DMs. And they said, like, people get really hung up on that phrase. In Kristen's defense, I guess, Austin did make it a little mysterious on Watch What Happens Live, and I stand by that. But they were saying, no, it was just that we were communicating overall through DMs, and everyone took that and ran with it.
0: Okay, yeah. but like. Craig is just as much to blame because on the reunion, he said, I, you know, I told her I have a girlfriend and Kristen says on this podcast, you never even needed to go as far as to say you had a girlfriend because I was never doing anything that was coming across as flirtatious. So Kristen was kind of almost saying like, Oh, like slow your roll there, everyone, you know? Yeah, she says, from my perspective,
1: Justin, my best friend, and you had been speaking. When I DM'd you and said, thank you for sending me masks from his line, we're coming to Charleston, let's all hang out, which I guess Justin had planned with them. She said, it wasn't romantic, it wasn't flirty, you never told me you had a girlfriend because it never got to that place. Honestly, Craig being so drunk at the reunion is kind of brilliant because he just can use that as an excuse. And they're all kind of like, what the fuck? This turned into a shitstorm. Hearing the three of them acknowledge that together, how satisfying was that?
0: Oh my God. It was so satisfying. And I also just want to say kind of like how I made the point in Salt Lake City about how I felt validated that my point about the bartender thing was made. I felt validated for you because you were the one that kept saying like the terminology sliding into the DMs is what escalated this. And so for Kristen to say that, I felt like when I was listening, I was like, Isabel's going to be so happy about that point. I really was. Next
1: bullet was Craig saying that he has nicknamed Madison Scorpion and saying, I think if she'd never gotten involved, we would have just been continued being friends.
0: Yeah. I mean, he he obviously will not take lose any opportunity to say something negative about Madison. We know that. And the
1: last thing was Austin and Kristen, well, more Austin, was initiating this like, we have the worst exes camaraderie thing. He says, Kristen, you and I texted each other and we're like, it sucks that our exes are so jealous that they try to torpedo our friendship. So ridiculous. They didn't have to overreact. The fact that their jealousy affected our friendship is ridiculous. And Kristen says, it's the weirdest situation I've ever been a part of. I can 100% say the fact is still going on in some degree. It really has nothing to do with me.
0: Well, this is also when Kristen makes the point that Madison basically wanted to try to get Jay on the show.
1: Like, okay. I understand that Madison and the Jay thing really propelled this into a completely different stratosphere, but this was still news that nobody was denying and that they were kind of laughing about when it was just had to do with them. Like Kristen and Austin saying it has nothing to do with us. We were just like being friends. Yeah, they were, but like they didn't I don't know. Like it was still it was still not ridiculous that all of these headlines started coming out.
0: No, you 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 can Madison can't be the only one to blame in terms of the headline. She she undeniably like escalated it, but yeah, I mean that Instagram live if Madison never existed would have been headline making because it's Kristen Cavallari and she's drunk dancing on Austin's shoulders and like yeah, them screaming he'll never like you Madison definitely didn't didn't help, but like yeah, I, yes, I I agree with you.
1: The rest of the podcast, I highly suggest listening because like, we're not going to recap the whole thing, but Craig was talking about growing up watching Kristen on Laguna Beach and they kind of get into how being on Very Cavallari affected Kristen and Jay's relationship. And a really sweet moment was Craig was kind of reflecting on how – and Austin – on how Madison used to kind of put Austin down of saying like he's not cool enough, he's not good enough, not making him feel like people wanted to be friends with him. So that when they all went to dinner together and they were all getting along so well and he had their approval, it was such like a great moment for Austin's confidence. Didn't you like love that?
0: I really did love that. I don't I have a soft spot for Austin. I can't help it. And it 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 did it made me feel good. And also um I liked that Craig didn't feel above talking about how much of a fangirl he basically was about over Kristen in the beginning.
1: Yeah. it was. It's really good listen. I highly recommend it if you've been following us on this journey for months now.
0: Also, just one last thing that I want to say unrelated to uh, Southern Charm, but when Kristen was talking about The Hills and saying like, yeah, you know, I filmed a little. And I kind of was thinking I'm only filming for two days. Should I come in and just like stir stuff up? I don't know. Like maybe that would be fun. This is why like, you don't have to like her, but this is why Kristen Cavallari has retained relevancy for so long because she is excellent at reality television. And that one little sentence of like her mindset going into the filming of the Hills. I'm sure you guys saw the picture of her and Brody Jenner on the beach. It's just, it's reality television brilliance. And there's a reason that she has, you know, lasted the test of time. Amen. Summerhouse, especially at the end of an episode, is like such a breath of fresh air for me because it's not that there aren't great points to analyze and to make, but there's just something about it that maybe just feels, I guess, less intense. And I think I said that last week, but I'm like, I feel like when we get here, I'm like, okay, now it's, it's smooth sailing.
1: Yeah. It's like, there's just something different.
0: A lot of different things here. Clearly the main element was the whole Sierra, Luke, Hannah love triangle, which we will get into. But I just have to say, I am so loving watching Carl this season and him watching his mom's wedding and them doing that entire Zoom celebration.
1: Emma was hysterically crying. I thought this was such a sweet moment and I'm glad it happened in the very beginning of the season because you feel that like camaraderie, friendship, history that they all have coming together for such like a family moment that's bigger than all of them it was so sweet they all getting they're getting dressed up when they have the toast facetime with her like they
0: were all getting emotional I loved it I really loved it i I feel I guess this isn't a secret we can tell them we, we have Carl scheduled I think three weeks from now to come on the podcast and I'm really excited for that because I want to talk to him more about this and like he's really. I mean, you guys know from last season, this is a full 180. And it's not that he's a different person, but I think, I don't know if I realized how layered some of the stuff he was going through last year was because when he was talking about it and speaking about his you know, brother's issues with sobriety, um, et cetera, and he was saying like, I didn't realize, but I kind of, him and I don't have a relationship and what I was doing, I was turning into the behavior of his that I am so upset about. So you could see this like carried a lot more weight than just the um, superficial element of kind of not drinking. And so I, I'm just so happy for him overall. And watching how much he loves his mom. I'll never get sick of watching somebody admire their parents so deeply. And then to have everybody else also be so excited for her was probably a really special feeling for him.
1: It was really sweet. It was so meaningful. I, I just loved every moment of it.
0: Also, you know, again, before we get into like the really core of the episode, I felt like Kyle's birthday that they did when they had that makeshift restaurant. One was like so creative and really thoughtful, but it also kind of showed the same energy that you were just speaking of about the fact that, like, these aren't random people that are thrown together within a house. Like, this is a family. Totally.
1: There's also an extra togetherness this season because they literally can't leave. Like, they're quarantined there. They're working there. They're not leaving. They're not having anything else go on during the week or really interacting with anyone else. It's like, okay, we have each other. Let's make the best of it. And this was a prime example, both of these things, a prime example of like, we're in shitty situations. This isn't exactly what we'd want to be doing, but let's make it special for each other because we love each other and we want to go above and beyond.
0: Yeah, and you know something? It was really—I thought it was really well done and really sweet.
1: It was making me laugh so much. Like Paige is the hostess, and Carl's coming down as a sommelier, and like they're serving them. It was, and everyone was all in. I love the attitude.
0: I love the attitude too, and also, you know, in light of the Carl conversation, Amanda and Kyle last summer—that was really hard to watch at times. Like they were just not in a good place, and so. Even when uh, Amanda moved over to him and they were like toasting together and she said to him like, oh my God, you're, you know, you're crying. And I understood that because I felt like last summer, not that they never stopped loving each other, but there were certain times where it was so painstaking almost. And that just was not the case here. You know, they like really seemed to have this flow and this ease. And even in light of the stresses that come up with wedding planning in the time of Corona, it was like they were a team. And I was so happy to see that because I genuinely feel like that was lacking last summer.
1: And you could feel how much they bonded over quarantine, which like is such a make or break thing, I think for a lot of couples and like, oh, we're supposed to be getting married, you know, right now. Like, I don't know. It was so sweet.
0: It really was. Also, last thing before we get into the core of the episode, Lindsay and Steven, I know obviously now they're no longer together and kind of like we know that, but we didn't know that at the time, but you could kind of tell this was not going in in a good direction at all. No, like they're
1: already there and they want to kill each other. Imagine how they were alone in quarantine. Now they're in a house with 10 people and they're still annoyed. She's annoyed with his work schedule. He is not giving her the attention she needs. It was just like a mess from day 1.
0: I also want to say I'm trying to think how I want to phrase this, but I guess his work is more like quote traditional in the sense that he's on, you know, calls all day, etc., and hers is a little bit more flexible, I guess, in terms of the way that she can work. But I often feel, and this is not a gender thing because it can happen regardless. I often feel sometimes that, like, people that have a little bit more of a flexible schedule or maybe their work environment is a little bit less traditional, like, they're sometimes taken less seriously or maybe they just feel like they're taken less seriously. And I felt like what she was trying to communicate, whether or not he was actually doing this, was that she felt like her time. Was being perceived as almost less valuable than his. And I understand that. I can relate to that. I feel like sometimes with our job, because it's like people can't really understand what we do, like it's not like we're going into an office every day. It's almost like, okay, well, I have this meeting today at this place. And it's like, I understand and I respect that, but you doing that does not take away from what we're doing just because it's a little less traditional. Did you like kind of understand what she was meant? Yeah. Oh,
1: totally. And then on top of it, he's like asking her to make him lunch every day. It was like, I think it was a glaring. Not like a power dynamic, but she was really not
0: feeling it. No, and I I don't blame her. I think I would have felt the same way. Yeah. Okay, the moment we've all been waiting for. Shall we get into the entire Sierra Leucana situation?
1: You gotta love an old-fashioned love triangle.
0: I know, you specifically do.
1: It doesn't get better. It's the best thing to watch.
0: It doesn't. I mean, the thing is, I feel like on a certain level, we kind of could have anticipated this happening, even just at the very least, the whole hannah and luke being on separate pages because that's a trend that we've continued to see of course having Sierra there added another element but let's backtrack for a second because when Paige and Sierra were sitting at the pool and Paige was kind of gathering the information and she finds out that luke and sarah had a thing a few summers ago he took her to minnesota to meet his family and they kind of have that flirtation you could see it got her wheels kind of turning and i think we were all starting to learn a little bit more about what's really going on here
1: Yeah. And I also think in that moment, Sierra probably assumed that any information she told Paige was going to end up to Hannah and some of the other girls. So she was not holding anything back.
0: Let's also just say, like, she couldn't have handled this better, Sierra, this entire situation. Although, what an uncomfortable position to be in. And, like, it's, I mean, it's not just her. All three of them were really in an uncomfortable situation. But that specifically is, it's a hard thing to navigate, you know? Well, there was
1: so much information that she was in the dark about, which made it even harder. She's also like the new addition to the house where they all know each other so well. And here she is, you know, they're trying to learn more about her. It's like navigating that must be really, really difficult, especially now with girls and such like twisted relationships. There's so much history. And she's really blindsided. Like she doesn't even know what's going to happen.
0: Right. And also, The thing about this that makes it so unique is in normal times, if you are like, let's just use the three of them, right? If you're Hannah and you were kind of hooking up with this guy, we'll talk about the definition of that later. And you find out that he also had been romantic with this other woman. Typically, they probably would never have really even crossed paths. However, in this situation, the two women that are kind of involved with this guy are not only living in a house together, they literally can't leave. So, it's a very, very unique situation in terms of like the conversations that are gonna go on are just naturally gonna be less surface level because they have so much time to dig deeper.
1: Yeah, it's like the whole idea of Summer House was always you're stuck in a house together, but there were so many other factors. They were going out, they were meeting other people, they were had like a relief during the week when they weren't there on the only there on the weekends. So now they are literally stuck. And they have to face these problems. There's no way around it. And there's no way to like blow off steam in other ways. They have to face them right on. And also they can't avoid each other.
0: That's the thing. There's no sort of avoiding the issue. And there's no, <laughs> it's like anything that's going to happen that summer is going to happen in that house. And they're all very aware of it. So I was just already like, okay, this this is, not that it's not going to end well, but this is going to end interestingly.
1: I will say like we are only on episode two. I'm glad that they are addressing the elephant in the room early on instead of letting it keep piling up and also letting Sierra in on like, okay, well, here's what Luke didn't tell you. And he really didn't prep you well for what you were entering and also how you fit into this equation.
0: Okay. We need to talk about this because when Hannah walks into Sierra's room and they kind of sit down on this bed, which to be totally honest, this was much more, um, Like, not that I don't think Sierra was maybe happy to have a better understanding of the situation, but if you have to choose one person that was more excited about this information, it was definitely Hannah. You know what I mean? Like she found this to be beneficial and she was the one that was going to make sure this conversation happened where like, I don't think if it was up to Sierra, she was going to sit Hannah down and be like, let's compare notes.
1: Oh, of course not. Hannah was dying for the information. I don't blame her, especially after hearing what Sierra had told Paige already, now they almost get to like compare notes and she gets to say, girl to girl, this is what's been going on. And, you know, oh, he did that to you. Well, he did that to me. And comparing timelines, like they had such an open dialogue. It wasn't really competitive or nasty. I was happy that it went down that way because I think even though they don't know each other, they had like a nice mutual respect where they were both seemingly very honest
0: yeah, I mean, listen, you have to give them both credit because even though, like, we can look at this situation completely logically since we are, like, completely removed from it and very rationally and be like, okay, clearly it is not either of the women's fault. However, how many times do you see two women, instead of getting mad at a guy, get mad at each other? And, like, That wasn't happening here, which was refreshing to see. However, let's just be honest. I think Hannah, like we saw last episode, and this isn't really a bad thing. She was like hyper aware of being super, super friendly and like buddy, buddy with Sierra because she felt like kind of playing it that way was maybe the most strategic um, approach. So, Yes, it definitely there was like a level of respect that they both had for each other and they were able to communicate that really well. But also, like you could tell that Hannah's and she admitted to this even on I think Watch What Happens, like that was her priority kind of of keeping that friendship and getting really close to her. And I know for some of us watching, it was like, oh my God, this this is this is into overdrive. But like I kind of get it.
1: I so get it. We spoke about this at length last week. I so get it. I think a lot of people relate to that. And obviously I'd rather her go this route than play the blame game when she didn't do anything. She really had no idea any of Hannah and Luke's relationship was even a thing. So she's not at fault at all. I do think though, even if Hannah's overwhelming excitement about Sierra and wanting to buddy up with her and respect her was a lot in the beginning, I feel like after the way that this was handled, it's actually genuine because Sierra... Handled it so well and was really kind of sensitive to Hannah's feelings and realize like, oh shit, I'm in a really weird position.
0: They are all trapped. That's the thing. Like I can't- Oh my God. No, I'm sorry. I can't. I Listen, I understand this is a reality show and some of it is staged. And I definitely think that there are elements of the Luke and Hannah timeline that are probably a little bit staged for this. But like, I can't stop thinking about that. Imagine if you're listening to this, imagine if you've ever been in that type of situation when you and another person are in this weird kind of love triangle and you literally can't leave the house. I mean, that's crazy. Well, something we have to remember too is it's not just the
1: three of them. There's going to be other dynamics. Like Carl had an eye on Sierra, Like she's so hot. You know, who knows what's going to happen? Hannah, I think if Luke kind of wanted to have something happen again, she's not going to say no. She's in no position to deny him. And it's... Starting out on this foot, where do we even go from here? And they can't leave or they can't bring new
0: people in. Well, I wanted to say obviously, we'll get to um, Luke and Hannah's conversation with Sierra in the kitchen in a second. But that preview of Luke and Lindsay hooking up, like that episode is going to be so explosive. That and also some point in the summer, presumably, uh, Paige and her boyfriend break up and you see Carl also kind of eyeing Paige and they had had a thing previously. So It's interesting because there are a lot more like romantic alliances than you would necessarily expect.
1: Well, because I think, like we were saying, when we're seeing them in these familial situations, they feel like such good friends that you forget that they're how quickly it can turn from friendship, platonic friend zone into sexual. Right. Especially, especially because their only options this summer are each other. There's right. no like third party. There's no I have a boyfriend at home or bringing the boyfriend. Like none of that. It is what is in front of you is what you get for the next what is it six weeks that they're there. And also think about how mad Hannah was about the New Year's Eve situation with Lindsay that she was maybe trying to get Luke to hook up with someone. So then when Lindsay actually does hook up with him, that is going to be something.
0: I I physically can't wait. The last thing that I just want to say about this before we get into that conversation is I will say, and I don't know if this is just because like we're used to housewives where it's a little bit more of like an extravagant, um, we see really extravagant trips that they take. And it's not that the other house wasn't nice, but there is something about them being in this house that feels so grand that to me is like elevating the watching experience because it feels less like kids renting a share house, even though the other house was obviously really nice, this is like, okay, we've leveled up. And as a viewer, I like like that element even more.
1: They have so much more space, but thank God, because they're all working there and they're there 24-7. Like, they can't Like even go out to eat, really. So if they were in the other house, it would just be like – I think they would kill each other.
0: Yeah, that would be a disaster.
1: A disaster.
0: Okay, let us get into this conversation because – you know, when they're upstairs and Hannah basically says, Luke, can we talk? And then says, and Sierra, why don't you come too? If I was Sierra, I would have been like, why are you bringing me into this shit?
1: (laughs) Oh my God. She's like, what? Like, I want to go home. (laughs) I
0: know. Like, how did I get how, why? Like, does this need to be a three person conversation? You could tell her face was like, are you sure that is the right conversation here?
1: Right. Like, please. She wanted to just evaporate.
0: I would me too. But anyway, so when Hannah kind of brings Luke over and they get into this conversation, I really, I, I'm to be honest with you. And I don't know if, uh, it's weird. Cause we talk about summer house. Um, we have the screeners for summer house. So I don't know like what, where the court of public opinion stands on this. I haven't seen what other people are saying. So I'm just giving my honest, immediate raw reactions. I'm really kind of torn because like on one hand, I always want to side with the woman in a situation like this. And I also really like know Hannah personally and really like her. However, I didn't feel like it was a hundred percent fair what the picture she was painting out to Luke, because he definitely is guilty of kind of leading her on. We know that f- for a fact, right? But also like I think something that happened with Hannah potentially was that she felt this pressure to like be okay with this kind of chill girl presence, which you see happen a lot of times with women because men make us feel sometimes that if we're like quote clingy or quote needy, and I hate those words that like, you know, we're going to scare them away. So women sometimes will push the boundaries of what they're comfortable with in terms of like commitment level, just as a way to like seem chill. Do you know what I'm saying? Of course. So that I think was happening. And then when he kind of flipped the switch, all of a sudden the like chill girl kind of persona that she was putting on evaporated and understandably so she doesn't have any obligation to keep that, but he was kind of blindsided yet she was also really upset and she felt like he was gaslighting her, which some could argue to to a certain level he was. However, if you want to get like super nitty gritty, like if we were taking this to a court, they technically weren't committed, even though not that that should matter, but like, there's so many different things at play here.
1: I feel like she was just coasting along and felt like she was protected of like, we know what we have and this will just continue. But now she kind of came to a screeching halt to be like, wait a minute, you know, eventually we have to address this head on. And now When you go back and look at everything, he was kind of covering his tracks and making sure that when this moment came, he was able to like slip out of it without with unscathed, basically.
0: Yes. And the thing is, you know, last summer his like main reason for not being able to commit was that he wasn't fully over his ex, which, yeah, that's a hard thing to hear, but on a certain level, it's almost like I don't know if I want to use the word comforting, but I think I'm going to. It's almost comforting because it's at least it's like you have a concrete reason as to why he can't take things to the next level with me because he's still hung up on his ex. So once his ex is seemingly no longer in the picture and he's down to kind of, you know, potentially explore something, yet he doesn't want to explore it with you, that hits deep. So I know it's easy to say that she was being irrational. And I I could agree that maybe, you know, maybe she was communicating something that wasn't completely consistent with reality. However, it hurts deep and it's an emotional response because it's a lot harder to hear like, he's actually down to date. He just doesn't really want to date me versus like, he can't date me because he's still so emotionally attached. Right.
1: It's, you know? It was it would have been hard enough to hear, but then to literally see it sitting in front of her face, I think was so overwhelming for her.
0: I think so too. And like, you know, the thing is, I feel like people are, I don't know. I, I, it's, I, when I, When I was watching this, I was kind of thinking about both sides of like, I totally could see how people thought that, you know, Hannah was making up something that didn't exist. However, like when you're talking on the phone to a guy every single day, yeah, maybe you shouldn't assume you're the only one he's doing that to. but also you can understand like on a human level why that's hurtful. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: There was other things too. It wasn't just like, oh, he calls and texts me every day to check in. There were conversations. They have some history. And I feel like everyone is so quick to judge what counts or not. And it's like, that is different for every person, every couple, what levels it goes to and how emotional things get. So- if to her it was a quote relationship in some way, she's not saying they were fucking engaged, but it was enough that she felt like she was owed an explanation and she did not get that.
0: You know, what's really hard is when you feel like you and that person are so on the same page and then there's this striking realization that you're not, and not just romantically, even platonically or even business wise, it hurts, it cuts deep. Like even if even if logically she didn't have the reason to, sometimes your heart and your mind just are not that aligned.
1: Yeah, and this was like a huge wake-up call after a whole quarantine where she kind of thought they were on the same page and then boom, they're not.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the scene when they were roller skating and they kind of had that conversation, like, do you do you think that this is a fair assessment to say that that was like textbook friend zoning that he did? Oh, yes. Okay. And then let me ask you another question going off of that. If we're saying that it's fair to say that that was textbook friend zoning, do you think it's also a fair assessment to say that, like, Hannah, like, literally just couldn't, and understandably so, every woman has been there, like, couldn't kind of accept that that was the reality of what was going on. So she was almost like making an excuse for what was happening as not to acknowledge, like, the full scope of the picture?
1: Yeah. I think to make it hurt less, right?
0: Right, like it's a like, yeah. Sometimes you put up this wall of potential irrationality in order to like make the pain lessen a little. And I don't, I I just feel like every woman has been there. I don't want to like come down on her so hard for that, even though like technically, if you want to get really fucking technical, yeah, he never said that he was dating her. He never said she was the only one.
1: Yeah, I think a lot of people related to watching this and to see it happen in this way. We felt for her. It was like mapping out what he had done. And all of a sudden it had built up to this moment and it's just, it's not going to go well.
0: No, this is not going to end well. Also like, you know, to me for both of them, for Sierra and Hannah, I'm like, listen, this guy is not worth being hung up on. Not that Sierra seems to be hung up on him, but like, I guess in the house, technically he is because who else are they going to be with? You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's kind of the the prime option there. Although that's not the case for Sierra. Sierra Feasibly could be with Carl. Hannah and Carl, there's no way like they're just too good of friends. but like if i if I was Sierra, I mean, i I don't know, I guess I can't I don't know Luke or uh, Carl personally, but I feel like at this point, Carl's more of a catch than Luke is, and especially coming from Sierra who could literally get fucking anybody.
1: I don't know. I she could just be playing it cool and have way more feelings. Clearly, she came with him to this house and it seems like they had some thing of, you know, we want to see what happens between us. So like we don't really know her inner feelings yet. We have to hear more.
0: I know. Well she kind of said that like um in her confessional after her conversation with Hannah. Basically, I don't know, is she telling the truth or is her perception of this a little bit flawed? And how is she supposed to know? Like, this is the first time she's meeting this girl and Luke has completely kept her in the dark. So how is she supposed to know which version of the truth is the actual truth?
1: Well, it goes both ways. Like when I was saying they were in bed together talking, they both don't know what, if what each other's there, if what they're telling each other is the truth. So like they're, they're just, they just met. That's what we have to remember. They just met. So it may seem like they're really nice and great to to each other, but at the end of the day, they don't owe each other anything, and they don't know the real nitty gritty of what they're thinking.
0: I know, and I just cannot wait to watch this play out. Like I, I really like Summer House. I know, I love it. Do you like it? I love it. It's like it's great television. I don't know. This is going to be this is going to be very interesting. I'm interested to see. I'm interested to see how this all plays out. And that preview of Luke and Lindsay is really just. I can't stop thinking about that.
1: It's going to be a great season.
0: I know. Okay. Anything else at all Bravo wise that you want to mention?
1: I don't think there is anything else. I'm exhausted, but this was a great episode.
0: I am so exhausted. That was so like, not bad long, just long.
1: Long. We always just have a lot to say. I know.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, we love you guys so, so, so much. And as always, thank you for listening. If you feel so inclined and you want to write a nice review, we'd appreciate it. But seriously, Just listening um, is enough. And if there's feedback that you have, just tell us in DM. We appreciate it that way so much more. So thank you. Um, We love you. Anything else is? No, that's it. Bye guys. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service,